Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the World Football Summit podcast. I'm your host, Jaime, CMO at World Football Summit. Today, we welcome Ben Pepe to the show. Ben currently is head of sport at JMW Solicitors, one of the top law firms in the UK. But he has knowledge across so many spaces, athletes, investment, consumer brands, and startups, just to name a few which is why I was very much looking forward to this conversation. Overall, it is about legacy, specifically about the pillars that build up an athlete's legacy after retirement. We start by talking about Leo Messi's new tech investment vehicle and why there's so much difference between American and European players when it comes to investing. And then we shift into different ways in which footballers are approaching their investment strategies. We then talk about sponsorship and how the player empowerment era is driving new partnership dynamics across the entire industry as players are becoming more values driven and how all of this impacts the revenue models for football properties. We even get to talk about opportunities in Web3 and the social impact initiatives that many football players are putting in place. For me, this was a true masterclass and I hope you enjoy it too. But a quick disclaimer, this conversation is not and should not be taken as financial advice. It is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Finally, remember, World Football Summit Africa is right around the corner. On November 16th and 17th, Durban will become the capital of the global industry. You can't miss it. Head over to our website, africa.worldfootballsummit.com and buy your ticket. Again, that is africa.worldfootballsummit.com. And with that, on to our conversation with Ben Pepe. Ben, welcome to the World Football Summit podcast. Um, honestly, it's a, I feel it's a great opportunity to have you here, especially with everything that's uh, going on now in, in the world of uh, sports in general and all the legal aspects that uh, clubs and athletes need to consider. And and that's what we're going to talk about today, especially, you know, we're going to focus on on how the athlete landscape is uh, is changing and, and how they're looking to leave a legacy across many different fronts. Uh, but before going into, you know, the the details of the conversation, I, I, I do, I would like to ask you if you could introduce yourself to the audience briefly and, and maybe perhaps add um, why uh, or how did you end up uh, where you are today? Sure. Well, firstly, thank you for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure to be a guest on the podcast. Um, so, yeah, I've had the fortune of working in the sports industry for coming up to 10 years now, ever since I left university. So um, it's an industry that I'm obviously hugely passionate about and one I've had the fortune to, to work in for, for a decent length of time now. And my role has evolved really over, over the course of the last nine and a half, 10 years. Um, I started life as a, as a football agent. Um, so I worked for a, a global football agency called Bay Soccer, who recently got acquired by CAA. So rebranded as CAA Base. Um, so, so that was the, the, the first five years of my career. Um, and then came out of the agency industry in terms of talent representation uh, and moved across to what was known as Lagadere Sports and Entertainment back then. But again, another rebrand. So they're now back to um, Sport 5, um, world's leading sports marketing group and rights holder. Um, 
And I sat across their global partnerships portfolio. So I had the pleasure of working with brands nationally and internationally, connecting them with clubs, rights holders, events, governing bodies, talent, um, and was a really nice entry actually out of football, uh, even though we still operated within football, um, into other sports as well. So we... um, we were working in properties like rugby, cricket, tennis, F1, golf. Um, and then, funnily enough, next week will be five years at JMW. Oh. Um, so, yeah, work really? anniversary nice. coming up. Um, <laughs> yeah. And my my role with, and we'll obviously talk about it in, in, in due course, but my, my role here is um, kind of two things, really. One, I... I co-lead our sports team um we're a full service national law firm and where that feeds nicely into our sports practice is that that means we can act for talent we can act for clubs governing bodies but also more recently sports technology businesses brands investors um looking in the startup ecosystem so the jmw piece is one side and then the one of the main cruxes to what i do is i lead and manage a business within jmw which is a platform called barn door which connects athletes alongside traditional um, investors to new business and active commercial opportunities um, with the idea that we're going to help athletes prepare for life beyond sport uh, by connecting them into opportunities that will resonate and be relevant for them. And we do that in four ways, basically investment opportunities, brand ambassador, commercial opportunities, IP equity opportunities, which we'll certainly touch on today and strategic advisory as well um so that's a kind of a potted history on my background well that's a impressive background um and also hey congratulations on your five-year work anniversary no at at dmw so hey that's something to to celebrate um and yeah and and really why why i wanted to have you as a guest on the podcast is because i think this uh this topic of uh i like to call it as uh, the legacy that athletes leave behind um, is, you know, um, top of the spear right now. You know, you see a lot of athletes working uh, on on building that legacy. And and today I want to focus on what I would say three fronts. One is investment. Uh, one, uh, the other one would be sponsorship, and the final one would be call it social commitments because I think that's also part of the um, legacy that athletes can leave behind if, if they wish to because of the influence that they have. Um, but I think we can start things off with, uh, you know, I think the most recent news, uh, or, or not re- maybe not the most recent, but le- definitely one of the most popular, which is Messi, not Leo Messi. He just opened up his uh, investment vehicle to invest in tech-related uh, startups, no? Um, this is an interesting dynamic because you see a lot of footballers doing this. Uh, but m- I don't know if you can give a sense of, or give the audience a sense of, of the landscape right now or, or, or a general overview of, of what's going on in that space? Sure, absolutely. I mean, it's it's certainly um, big news and definitely is recent, right? It was it was only a couple of weeks ago that, that Messi announced his investment vehicle. Um, and as you touched upon earlier, it's certainly an increasing trend. Um, so in terms of the landscape, I mean, Athletes getting involved with businesses and brands is nothing new. It dates back to the days of when IMG first started and Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer um, and Gary Player, their, their kind of intellectual property rights being commercialized and athletes getting involved in all sorts of different business and brand opportunities. But I suppose where things have changed slightly is that 
the modern athlete and the modern footballer is is becoming, I'd say, increasingly savvy to the vast array of opportunities that exist beyond that traditional business or brand portfolio, right? And they are looking across the pond and they're looking at US athletes starting their own venture funds or getting involved with startups and realizing that beyond their kind of traditional portfolio, um, i.e. their kind of commercial deals with sportswear providers and and a, a few other kind of traditional brand endorsements, there's a plethora of opportunities out there with within early stage venture and within the technology ecosystem where not only could they invest into opportunities but add significant value to those businesses because of who they are so this this whole trend of athletes now wanting to get involved in opportunities where they can actually be genuinely um, a part of the, that business growth from a brand profile perspective, from a network perspective, an industry expertise perspective, has meant that they've started to lean towards um, getting involved in in early stage businesses that are more exciting for them, more glamorous, um, and they look at the Michael Jordan blueprint and they yeah. go, "I want to be like that guy." Yeah, definitely, and. You mentioned several things that I think we can follow up. Uh, uh, you know, we can we can touch upon a little bit later. But I think the first thing is, you mentioned that Messi follows the footsteps of many American athletes. Um, so yeah, that was one of the questions I had with that because I also perceive that as well. You see the greats uh, in in the United States. You no, know? you see your LeBron James, Kevin Durant, uh, Patrick Mahomes, or Tom Brady. You know, to touch upon other sports. So so why is that? Why is it that American athletes seem to be I wouldn't say one, but definitely a couple of steps ahead in, in this regard. Sure. It's it's a very good point and, and a very va- kind of valid and factual point. I think it's a few reasons. I think, I think firstly, what we have to look at is the wider ecosystem. And the reality is, is that the startup venture ecosystem in itself outside of sport is more advanced in the US than it is in the UK and Europe. So I think the, the the kind of the general industry trend of um, what the early stage landscape looks like is definitely a factor. Um, if we're looking at athletes specifically, I think education plays a big part. We know that a lot of a lot of US athletes go to college, they get scholarships, and then they they come out of college and go into professional sport. The reality is is that in the UK and Europe that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Leo Messi was dominating the Champions League as a teenager, right? Exactly. Um, he, wasn't, he wasn't in college playing in varsity games and so on and so forth. Um, and having re- having represented and looked after academy, academy footballers, I know the education programs they were going through and I know how much time they spent at school and I can guarantee you that it certainly wasn't the same amount of time that US athletes were. So I think education is definitely one. Um, I think industry network is another. So what we're finding with those US athletes that you mentioned before is that they not only have a very significant network outside of the sports industry with C-suite level execs, business owners, um, not just of their kind of blue chip brand partners, but also the, the kind of wider network of through their friends, through their business contacts, mm-hmm. and that willingness to open out that network book and contact book exposes them to more opportunity. 
athletes in the UK and Europe, in our experience, and footballers specifically, have a very tight-knit team around them. So they're probably not as exposed to as much opportunity, which then leads to, um, I suppose, less of an appetite to venture into new opportunities. Um, And I think finally, the US is a very athlete-led endorsement economy, right? So if you look at consumer-facing businesses, in the US, you 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 go to Times Square or you go wherever else and you see athletes on billboards everywhere. And you see US athletes, US musicians, actors, actresses endorsing brands all the time. That would be my kind of top line breakdown of both the wider ecosystem, but also the specific reasons why I think it's more advanced in the US than the UK. But importantly... I think the the landscape is changing for the better, and the news of Messi, as you said, is is hopefully going to have a domino effect with kind of European footballers and UK footballers for sure. I, I think so too. And and you mentioned you mentioned a couple of interesting points there. Education piece definitely. Um, curious to see now that you have a lot of uh, interest in leagues where they're actually. Players are coming out of uh, high school in the United States, going directly into these professional leagues that are um, only for, let's say, these uh, younger players. See what that happens with that in the future. Then you also mentioned the ecosystem, which plays a huge role. Uh, so, for example, when you think about Kevin Durant, I, I think one of the main reasons why he decided to leave Oklahoma to go to Golden State is there was going to be an easier connection to all the Silicon Valley startups. So for him, it's going to, it was going to be, you know, a, a great opportunity there. No, um, I guess the question that I have now is we are talking about the greats in, uh, in every sport, Leo Messi, Kevin Durant, LeBron James. Is this something that's only open to the big names or is any athlete um, able to access these opportunities? <laughs> I think it, it it's an interesting point and I think an interesting question. I think it depends on the sport, right? So you've got team sports and you've got individual sports. And the reality is, is that in sports like tennis and golf that are very much individual sports or even F1, um, there are only a few greats in those industries and in those sports that could leverage their profile to the extent of being able to add value potentially beyond um, capital resource or industry expertise, right? Um, So I think the question really needs to be split between two things. From a financial perspective, can a lot of athletes start getting involved in startups? The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that Premier League footballers earn a significant amount of money. And if they choose to allocate 10% of their investment portfolio to early stage businesses, that could lead to a fairly sizable portfolio of startup investments, especially with kind of the tax breaks you get in the UK with EIS relief and so on. Um, But I'm a big believer in that the value that athletes drive goes far beyond their capital resource. And that comes from the brand awareness piece. It comes from their industry expertise. So if you look at an example of a top 20 ATP tour tennis player, the reality is, is that they'll have enough capital to invest, so it can certainly start to build up an investment portfolio that could then go on to be supremely successful. Um, they have a contact book and network, so they can certainly leverage that for the benefit of, a, of an early stage business. But do they have the brand profile to 
be attractive enough for a consumer startup to say, hey, I'm willing to give you a percentage of equity within my business for you to promote me on social media or uh, event appearances and, and so on and so forth. And that's where it becomes trickier. Um, but I certainly think this is a market that's open to a huge amount of athletes. We work with a number of Olympians who don't have any capital to invest into businesses, but have got huge brand profile. And we've done equity deals for them where they're, they're adding enormous value to startups beyond simply just being able to write a check. Um, so I don't, the, the answer is I don't think it should be prohibitive. I think things will need to change on both sides. I think athletes need to become more aware of the opportunities that are out there and educate themselves on how they're going to add value. And I think that the businesses need to become more aware of the value athletes drive beyond just what they initially assume to be, oh, they can endorse my business and, and that's going to lead to a, a ton of sales and a ton of incremental enterprise value. Mm-hmm. And um, you touched upon this briefly before, but are there any specific categories where these athletes are investing? As I know every case differs, right? But I don't know if there's a, you know, a broad scope of categories where they invest. And I guess more importantly, why is it that they choose those categories? Sure. Um, so I think the, it, it tends to skew more to kind of consumer-facing businesses, so either direct-to-consumer or B2B2C businesses, which is business-to-business kind yeah. of businesses that then provide a product or service to a consumer. Um, I think generally it's businesses that they can almost kind of touch, smell, feel that resonate and are relevant for them. So as great as a B2B SaaS business may be, and as good as that might be from an investment perspective, the reality is, is that to a lot of athletes, if they were to receive that kind of deck or IM, that business isn't necessarily going to resonate with them straight away and be relevant. And they might not be able to add much value beyond simply writing an angel check or a, or a VC check as part of their fund. Um, so I think the skew is definitely more consumer than not. Um, I think in terms of kind of industries, um, obviously sports tech, health tech is, is an obvious one, wellness, consumer lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um you're obviously seeing a big trend of athletes getting involved in esports, yeah. um, new digital media. So our athletes are leveraging their significant profile on new media platforms. So I certainly think it tends to skew more towards kind of those businesses that um, have a resonance and relevance for them, which then leads on to then the next phase of that, which is those businesses that are potentially purpose-driven, um, that align to their personal values, not just their kind of values as a sports person. Um, and that's different things for every every athlete, as you rightly mentioned. So you might have an athlete that wants to um, help increase financial literacy in Africa, as an example, and leave their legacy in that way. Yeah, it, it, I think in terms of general trend, kind of direct-to-consumer, um, tech-enabled businesses in sectors that resonate, um, that also align with kind of personal values as well as just kind of athlete values as such. Yeah. And I realize something that you mentioned there, Noah, a lot of footballers are investing in esports, um, which in a way, and please correct me if, you know, if you don't see the, this as I interpret it, but... In a way, it could be 
counterintuitive for a footballer to invest in esports because at the end of the day, it's not that they're competing leagues, but but almost because they're you know both let's say looking for the uh, fans' attention. Um, is is do you see it like that, or is it just because they know this space well and and it's something they're interested in that they invest in it? Yeah, I think I don't see it as competing in the sense of I think the market is is a very different market. So I think the bigger worry would actually be for the sports clubs and rights holders that their fans and their audience is being taken away from their own sports teams through the medium of new esports teams, right? Which is why a lot of them have created their own their own esports teams. Yeah. Um so Mester Ozil is is obviously a prime example of, of of an athlete who is very vocal and um, publicly the public are kind of aware of of the I suppose the passion he has for that sector and that industry. Um, I think the reality is is that athletes have a large social reach, so having an esports team allows them to be kind of hands-on in the business as content creators, which obviously then in turn leads to significant revenue if they are part owners in a team, right? So whether it's on Twitch or it's on YouTube or whatever it might be, um, they all are fully aware that esports has exploded over the last few years. It's an industry in itself. Um, It's not, oh, it's a part of football or a another kind of sporting industry it is it is an industry in itself right it has broadcast it has events it has teams it has leagues etc etc so a lot of these players who are becoming esports owners um as i mentioned and touched upon before they sit at the intersection of um millennials gen z and this is the chance for them to be a part of the next iteration of um, kind of what sport and, and the intersection with technology might involve, right? The reality is, is that owning a football club is prohibitive. Footballers do not own football clubs, I suppose in the traditional sense. I know that it's starting to it's starting to change with David Beckham and um, obviously the, the example recently with Cesc Fabregas and, and SC Como. Um, but the footballers don't have billions of pounds to go and invest into a Premier League football club, right? Um, whereas owning an esports club at the moment isn't prohibitive for them because they can become part owners and the entry point is accessible. It's an industry they get. So it really just mirrors all the reasons why they would invest into a, a another startup. Um, and to kind of circle back to your initial point around whether I see it as competitive or not, I think... I think it's 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 a smart decision from them, and I think if they get it right, it could it could lead to um, significant, obviously, capital return, but also benefits in a number of other areas too. Yeah, well, thank you for that, because I mean, uh, it was one of the doubts that I had, and and in the process, you actually answered another doubt that I had, which is how do you see this trend where. You see it more in the U.S., where people, where athletes are investing in clubs. Mm-hmm. You do see it here with the example of Sex Fabregas, no Como. Um, just to finish this section off, though, I, I do want to ask. I don't know, uh, and I don't know how much of a public information is this, and if, if you know, we either you can answer that or you you don't know. But is there any footballer that's doing a good job, or it can be an example of someone who's investing well? 
uh, into any type of space? Yeah, I, I think there's numerous examples, right? I think the difference in in football, I suppose, is that the opportunities they're investing in are quite siloed. So there's no like vehicle where you can kind of look at a venture fund's portfolio and go, they've invested into 35 different businesses across these sectors and you can see the success, right? Um, because a lot of them, the reality is, is that it's pure angel investments at the moment. I always think Kieran Gibbs is a very good example. Um, okay. So he's a venture partner with Build Ventures, which is a $15 million um, fund that backs fintechs in Africa, as an example, and also a limited partner in in a venture company called Class 5 Global. You very rightly used the example of Kevin Durant moving club or franchise, rather, to get mm-hmm. closer to Silicon Valley, right? Kieran, Kieran Gibbs had moved to into Miami, and I've got no doubt that part of the reason for being there was to expose himself further to the startup ecosystem. Um, and has since come out and publicly said that being there has opened his eyes to um, the the kind of the startup ecosystem in Miami in the US. He takes part of his salary in, in Bitcoin. Um, okay. And again, being he was a big advocate for Bitcoin before he moved out to the US, but being there has only continued and cemented in his head what value digital currency will kind of hold in the future. Um, so I think he's a really interesting example of someone who's touching on all the all the areas that we've discussed. He's part of a fund that's backing fintechs in Africa. He's moved out to the US to be part of the kind of, not just the football, but also the venture ecosystem. Also part of a football uh, a football player owned club in into Miami as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I think he's he's kind of an interesting example and not one that would necessarily kind of spring to mind for a lot of people straight away. I love those examples that are kind of under the radar. I think those are the ones that actually industry can learn more from. And I do want to touch very briefly because uh, we're not going to have time to cover if not all the questions. But you mentioned crypto and you mentioned, I guess that that goes into our web three space no there's also a lot of trends now where athletes are investing in in web three initiatives call it nfts call it tokens call it crypto being paid in crypto how do you see that um landscape or that trend is because now the the market seems to be kind of you know wobbly um do you think that's something that's going to keep uh happening where athletes are actually investing in Web3 initiatives, or, or do you think they're going to hold off uh, till the market situation clears up a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's obviously very topical, uh, and we could probably talk for, for hours about what's possible, what's not possible, where the regulation may go. But the reality is, is that we're in the very first stage of the development, right? And the law is very much kind of still catching up. There's The reality is, is that there's a lack of legislation and um, whilst there's a number of proposals out there for what Web3 and digital assets kind of may mean, um, we're still living in the unknown, right? And that's just the reality. So I think football, sport in general, footballers, athletes in general, kind of are all looking to dip their toe in the water now because in three or five years, what seems impossible now will probably be possible. Um, uh-huh. And the market will evolve as kind of new regulation comes out, but also as new opportunities and new initiatives come out. I think in terms of the NFT space specifically, I think there's 
there's things that are already working, that's for sure. Um, so the idea of utility tokens and the idea of kind of tickets and rewards and money can't buy experiences being um, gifted and generated through the use of kind of a tokens from clubs, from rights holders, ticketing companies, etc., is very much in full swing and is working. Um, but with kind of an unregulated market comes enormous risk, come enormous volatility. We know that Bitcoin, as an example, is down 50, over 50% year to date. Um, and interestingly, using kind of, I suppose, a sports example and, and a very high profile sports example of that. Um, one of the big cases in the US at the moment is NBA Top Shots, right? So their yeah. moments campaign, which created a whole load of very positive kind of PR and was was huge. Um, that's currently going through a legal case around whether those Top Shot moments should be classed with the NFT should, and the cards, so the digital basketball cards should be classified as securities instead of trading cards or collectibles. Um, so it's examples like that where, the, where I suppose NFT and sport, if they're suddenly classified as securities as opposed to kind of potentially trading cards or collectibles, is going to make a very big difference to people's business model, right? So one of the great European success stories within sports tech over the last few years is, is so rare. And yep. again, digital trading cards. So all of a sudden, if you have a precedent set around NBA top shot moments and whether they're kind of collectible cards are suddenly classed as securities, um, a new regulation comes in, you, you all of a sudden see kind of businesses changing the course of what they are or are unable to do. And, and that ultimately is Web3 in a nutshell. I think there's great examples. I think there's very bad examples. I think some of the athlete-led NFTs that we've seen over the course of the last 12 to 18 months um, have not been very good in reality. Um, there's a whole ton of IP issues around the legislation, what players are and not able to do. But they've also learned, and I think that's the interesting thing. So what a lot of people are now realizing is that regardless of people's appetite for Web3 or appetite for the metaverse or appetite for NFTs, athletes, rights holders, clubs are realizing that you still need something tangible alongside it, right? So you're now starting to see a lot of NFTs come with actual real life experiences. So you might yeah. see an athlete kind of release an NFT, but there might be a money can't buy experience with that athlete alongside it. So you know that even if the value of that NFT goes up or down and it goes down to zero, which invariably it could and has happened with quite a lot of them, you're still getting an in-person training session with a footballer, getting around a golf with a golfer or a tennis masterclass with a tennis player. Um, so the industry is continually learning. I think everyone is analyzing and assessing it. I think there is an enormous opportunity and I think that opportunity is still in its infancy, uh, but it's certainly not going away. And the reality is, is that Web3 and the metaverse is going to form a part of how we evolve. Um, the idea that you turn up to sports events and you get rewarded um, through the use of non-fungible tokens and, and so on and so forth, 
is great because it means that clubs can start to learn more about their fans and so continually evolving at a rapid pace um but I, it's still a case of kind of treading very carefully within the confines of what's possible legally firstly um and the reality is, is that not a lot of people what is what is possible know what's possible legally sorry at the moment um and then continually evolving as new regulation comes up yeah and you mentioned a couple of interesting points there i think first um athletes and clubs will need to define well what that concept of utility really means for the fan once they do um how do you scale that to uh, generate mass adoption so those are the first uh, thought there and then also something that you mentioned there um, brings me back to a panel that we had in a football innovation forum back in in may um where fred antunes he's the ceo at real fever he was mentioning that from now on commercial and legal teams will need to cl- work very closely together um, to really understand what's possible and what's not because as every day goes by we learn something new and what you were mentioning you know before with dapper labs anyway i want to shift now to another topic or another realm where athletes are actually looking to leave a legacy say, in sponsorship i think the landscape has changed so much because now we live through a what some experts call the player empowerment era no? where big big football players have even arguably a bigger brand than their football clubs. So you see the case of Kylian Mbappe or even Cristiano Ronaldo when he left Real Madrid for Juventus, um, the impact that it had in the social media. How do you see that landscape uh, evolving? Players are now more culturally powerful than they ever have been. That mirrors celebrities, it mirrors athletes in other sports. the reality is is that the decisions that footballers now make has an impact on brand value it has an impact on their clubs it has an impact on their national teams um, it has an impact on governing bodies so obviously use cristiano ronaldo as an example of when he went to juventus but also another example was in the euros last year when he removed a coca-cola bottle from his press conference right and there you go told everyone to kind of drink water. And I think the message there was be more responsible. And I think that's my underlying statement is that brands, clubs, rights holders now need to be way more responsible with who they select as their commercial partners, because if players don't agree with it within the confines of what they're able to do contractually, they're going to stand up and take a stand. And when they stand up and take a stand because of the platforms that they now have, um, it's going to echo, right? And the scrutiny of sponsorship is is bigger than ever. We've seen an influx of kind of cryptocurrency partners within sport over the, the, the course of the last few years. Hugely um, volatile world where scrutiny is kind of very, very high. Um, the World Cup going to Qatar and what that means. Um, again, we've seen what Hummel did with the Danish national football team, show, which yeah. I think is absolutely fascinating and a real kind of watershed moment. We saw the Australian football team come out last week and kind of take a very visible kind of stance as to what their opinion about the World Cup being in Qatar was. So, yeah, it, it, we're living in this era where footballers, celebrities have got 
so much cultural power that ultimately the 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 decision makers now need to be fully aware of that and they need to kind of do far more due diligence in the kind of brand partners they choose and be far more responsible in the the people that they're partnering with players players will continue to take a stance um if they're if their kind of partners or their clubs or the national teams aren't going to be more responsible fundamentally though this changes the business model because before you used to see clubs really looking to they had a massive um contribution of the revenues coming from sponsorship mm-hmm. do you feel that this can potentially disrupt that in a way um i think it's got the potential to get very litigious if they dis- disrupt it during during a during a, a kind of a contract um i don't necessarily think it will take money off the bottom line i just think you'll see new partnerships evolve in different ways than what we're traditionally used to. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that clubs and rights holders will be far more selective in the types of commercial partners that they select. Um, And as I said, I think they need to do far more due diligence than sadly they are clearly currently doing because we've seen sponsorships announced and then renounced within the space of a couple of months, right? Um, And we've seen certain companies have so-called CEOs that exist in certain jurisdictions that it turns out that they don't actually exist in the first place, right? Um, So the flip side to that is that brands have a responsibility to now um, make people very visibly aware of the kind of the good that they are doing. We know that a lot of businesses have enormous kind of CSR budgets and, um, have um, various kind of initiatives around whether it's kind of zero carbon or whether it's uh, Mm -hmm. aligned to human rights or whatever it might be. Um, So brand um, budgets will be kind of pushed towards that. So I think if a rights holder or a team or a footballer or an athlete can show that they believe in the same values and can showcase activation opportunities for brands to partner with them to showcase that. I don't necessarily think it will lead to a kind of a negative impact on the bottom line. I just think money and sponsorship money will be placed elsewhere. Where it will certainly impact teams is that if they um, take decisions that don't align to a brand's values and they will suddenly start to see a gap in that commercial revenue and sponsorship revenue for sure. Yeah, and, and I was... I was thinking about asking you about certain categories where it makes sense for athletes to look uh, Mm. for partnerships, but I think in a way you just answered the question because it really depends on the values and what the player really represents. So there's no general category. I think in a way, these partnerships have to be true to what the athlete wants to represent. So kind of go into those details. Um, I guess what I did, do you think... um, that that in in that sense, is there any player that either you've worked with that you can share details of? Obviously, because uh, um, you know I understand there might be some non-disclosure agreements, mm-hmm. um, or any player in general where you believe who you believe is doing a good job in looking for their partnership uh, deals. Yeah, I, th- I think every every footballer is different, right? So you've rightly you've rightly said that now it it's a lot more about purpose and values over profit, but there is also a fine line between 
the kind of the I suppose the if I was using the equivalent in the legal world, the kind of the pro bono charitable elements of what they do. But also um I think opportunities where there is a kind of purpose-driven element, but also that maximizes commercial opportunity, right? And a lot of the athletes that that we work with, as an example, are leveraging their profile in a commercial capacity within businesses that are seen to be um, getting people more active or um, driving, driving social change. But I think in terms of using, um, and not that this person is someone that we have worked with, but Juan Mata is a great example, right? So Juan Mata started a movement a number of years ago with Common Goal. Um, that in, in reality, no footballer should not sign up to who is operating at a certain level, right? And mm-hmm. the reality is that that hasn't happened for various reasons. Um but he really is is the the perfect example of someone who has always clearly carried himself with real kind of dignity and purpose. Um, someone is a huge believer in clearly um, charitable initiatives and charitable causes. And I don't think there is any example better than how athletes and footballers can kind of give back. And 1%, right? It's, 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 minuscule in the grand scheme of what these guys earn um to then enable thousands hundreds of thousands and millions of people across the world to benefit from something that seems so simple on the face of it that in reality should be happening far far more that's actually a perfect segue to i think the next pillar that we wanted to discuss Mm -hmm. I think as yourself, I'm a big believer in in purpose-driven initiatives, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to sport. Yeah. Um, I think one of the misconceptions, and this is something that we discuss in the podcast in, in the second episode with uh, Professor Mohamed Yunus. He's a big believer in, or he's really the creator of the social business movement, and, and he also believes in the power of sport. So I think mm-hmm. one of the misconceptions is that these initiatives that drive for social change cannot be profitable and that's not true you can create a social business okay you're not going to be you're not going to maximize return on investment but what is return on investment no uh, is it only the economic side or is it also the social side so i just wanted to ask you first what do you think about that first of all and then second how do you see that evolving do you think more and more players are going to be looking into creating a social legacy rather mm-hmm. than just economic yeah, I mean, it goes it goes to that point of the the so called activist athlete, right? And I think because it's absolutely possible to have a kind of uh, a very strong purpose and still um, still generate revenue and, and profit from a business. I mean, using going back to the very start, using the athlete led venture fund example, Serena Williams raised an $111 million venture fund. And the whole premise of that venture fund is to champion founders who um, are leveling the playing field for women and um, underrepresented minorities, right? The the stats are that around 2% of venture funding goes to black people and, um, and minorities, right? 
that's a great example of a for-profit business that is generating revenue that is also generating supremely powerful positive social change right and then going back to your point around whether i think more athletes will follow suit obviously everyone looks to marcus rashford in the covid era as to obviously mm-hmm. what what he did and really kind of took note of the way that the way that that all came about and the team of people he had around him and i don't think it's a coincidence that um when he signed with rock nation who as we know are a huge sports and entertainment agency and i think it's a really good example of athletes bringing in a team of trusted confidants and advisors and commercial people is the reality pr comms brand and everything else so um i think where where people are starting to get savvier is that you touched on it earlier that sport has the power to influence huge positive change and i think what's very topical and current at the moment as well is going back to the kind of millennials and, and gen z conversation is that a lot of those a lot of those younger people are losing um trust in politicians and in governments and kind of feeling a bit disillusioned and they look to athletes um as their kind of their to use to use a current term as their goats right and as their as their influences and these athletes in some respects carry more influence with these people than politicians do these so yeah so i think in an age where sport carries such kind of powerful cultural influence there's a responsibility actually on these athletes to kind of drive purpose kind of driven initiatives and change um but also i think what's really important is that they genuinely have a desire to leave a legacy and to give back and i think once the athletes have achieved everything that they want to professionally or or kind of are coming to the end of their career the narrative changes to legacy right the narrative changes to not me the athlete but me the person me the business person me the champion of social change me the person that wants to leave a legacy that goes beyond who i am as a as an athlete and um athletes have a genuine genuine desire to leave a legacy and to drive as i said positive impactful change um examples are all around us and we know what kind of government initiatives look like and kind of company initiatives look like when it comes to these things and I don't think footballers are going to be hopefully any different albeit we'll need some some drivers of change to kind of stand up and be the kind of the, at the forefront of this and I think others will follow suit. I agree. And you have as you mentioned great examples there and and particularly the one that stands out to me personally is Juan Mata's efforts through Common Goal and in fact at World Football Summit we even gave Common Goal um a prize uh, or an award uh, in this year World Football Summit Europe, no, because it's such a great initiative, no. Um, ben, I want to be respectful of your time, and I just have a few more questions. And I guess the first one would be: we, we've talked about a lot today in terms of leaving a legacy through different fronts, no. So we talked about investment, sponsorship, social impact, Web three. Um, I want to know any either trend that athletes looking into um, building a legacy of their own they should look out for or and again I want to 
even though we said at the beginning of the episode, this is not investment advice whatsoever. This is only for entertainment purposes. And I understand, and I hope the audience understands that. Um, or, or, or other than trends, is there any, an example of a player that you know of that is actually an example that other footballers can follow suit that's leaving a legacy across all those fronts as a whole? I know it's complicated, uh, but I don't know if there's anything, anyone that stands out. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we touched on a lot of the kind of the trends and the dynamics of where the, obviously the industry is is heading. I think it's very much a case by case, individual by individual basis, because as I touched on earlier, you'll have Serena Williams as an example, who's championing underrepresented minorities. You've got Kieran Gibbs, who's backing fintechs in Africa who who kind of want to increase financial literacy and and the um and 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 the kind of whole i suppose financial ecosystem of 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 that continent um i think there will continue to be a number of kind of purpose driven initiatives that align to underrepresented minorities social value some climate change um and you'll see different athletes come out with different, whether it's venture funds, investment companies, charitable initiatives like Common Goal. Um, so I think from a purpose-driven perspective, that's where I kind of see, obviously, the trend heading. I think in terms of if we're looking at it purely from a commercial lens, again, we touched on a lot of the kind of the new trends today, the metaverse, Web3, um, with regards to athletes, I think my hope is that actually over the next kind of three years, we just continue to see them become a lot more savvy to the vast array of opportunities that are out there and the, the benefit and value they can drive to these opportunities. I, I kind of coin the phrase, the golden triangle. If you, you intersect high growth, highly scalable, purpose-driven businesses with athletes alongside institutional kind of funding, you can create a very, very powerful kind of symbiotic relationship there. And I think all of those three stakeholders are starting to become more savvy to that. So long may it continue. I love that uh, golden triangle. Um, so much, in fact, I think I'm going to have to invite you back to the podcast to <laughs> talk about that golden triangle and more examples, because I think that's something that's a framework. I, I really like frameworks. And I think that's a framework that footballers can really follow and, and athletes and institutions and the, the industry in general no so um you mentioned that you hope more players get involved and i guess i don't know if you want to share some advice on or, or for those who want to start thinking those athletes that want to start thinking about leave, uh, leaving a legacy you know they're starting mm. to realize they they can and they should mm. so i don't know if you have some advice there that you want to share with them um briefly or sure yeah absolutely i think I think firstly, it's just very important to kind of ascertain what is truly important to them. And each athlete is different. They come from different backgrounds, different communities. They hold different beliefs. Um, and I think it's then a case of being able to bring a team around you to kind of integrate that purpose into either commercial initiatives or charitable initiatives or whatever it might be in order for them to lead the legacy that they want. And I think there's a few lessons to kind of take from what's happened in the past. One-offs don't work. So you, if you're going to 
hold yourself out to be a champion of positive social change in whatever industry that might be or whatever kind of, I suppose, causes close to your heart, um, you need to be in it for the long run, right? And if you're going to truly drive the change that you want to, whether for profit or not for profit, um, you need you need a kind of tangible evidence and data to back up why you're doing what you're doing and the change that you're driving because it's all well and good kind of promoting things and coming out on social media saying you're doing it but if unless you can see the tangible kind of impact that you're actually making it's it's not gonna it's not gonna last um so i think it's about understanding what's important to them um making them aware of what opportunities are out there in order for them to be able to drive the change that they want and then building a team of advisors and industry experts in all different areas to enable them to do that. And you put those kind of three things together and um, there's there's kind of something very impactful that's, that's certainly possible. And we've seen numerous examples of it recently and in the past and will hopefully continue to do so in the future. Final question, and, and forgive me if I put you on the spot a little bit and, and feel free to answer it, but uh, you mentioned you were a Manchester United fan, correct? Yes. So I always like to ask the guests that like football, um, if you had unlimited budget um, and you could sign any player in history, uh, not, not right now, but in history, who would you try to get for Manchester United? Wow. Good question. Uh, Could be someone who played for the club, didn't play for the club. Yeah, who would, I, who would I try and sign? Well, I, I'd have to decide between a player that has played for the club and, and hasn't, um, and they both probably hold various similar character traits, both on the pitch and probably off it as well, and they'd be George Best and Diego Maradona. Um, ah, George Best nice. because my dad tells me how unbelievable he was um as a footballer especially playing on the pitches that he played on and um i was in a form in a former life a winger myself so certainly okay. resonates um and i suppose in terms of a player that hasn't played for the club it would have to be maradona i think maradona but managed by sir alex ferguson because uh, i think you have a character there who represents and embodies everything that a Man United fan wants to see in terms of kind of attacking flair, skill, gets players off their seat, scores incredible goals, but also a a personality that only someone like Sir Alex Ferguson could probably handle. Good manage. He's handled many of them in the past. Um, so, yeah, I think Maradona managed by Sir Alex Ferguson with me as the chief executive or owner of the football club, that would be pretty nice. Well, thank you for justifying that Diego Maradona answer because not everybody justifies it and I really <laughs> like your explanation. And I think I think you're totally right, no? Anyway, Ben, uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, I don't know uh, if you want to send uh, the audience. Where, where can people find out more about either you or GMW, what you guys do? Uh, I don't know if you want to send the audience somewhere to check uh, what, what you do um, out. Uh, sure. Free- yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you. And first, kind of, as I said at the start, thank you for having me. And also thank you very much for your time and also to the audience for listening. And I hope it was insightful in some way. But if you want to find out more about who we are, what we do, 
Um, the best place to look uh, firstly would be our website, so jmw.co.uk, um, and you can link down to our sports pages. You can see the profile of um, some of our, our team. Um, and then for myself, I um, have a social media profile both on LinkedIn and also on Twitter, so at Ben Pepe, um, where you'll find some of my musings and thoughts around um, what's going on across a number of the areas we touched on today, the sponsorship landscape, the athlete investment landscape, and so on. So please follow, take a read, have a listen of the podcast. Um, and I look forward to hopefully hearing from, from you in the future. If anyone wants to get in touch, um, my DMs are open, as is my email, which is ben.pepe at jmw.co.uk, which you'll find on our website anyway. And I highly recommend the audience to give you a follow, not only because of the things you've uh, said so, uh, you know, so you, you usually say on your social profiles, but also because of what's coming, uh, you know, as, as we've discussed. Um, I think it's really important to uh, follow experts like yourself to kind of keep up with the trends that are going to shape the future of the industry. No? So, Ben, thank you so much. Uh, this has been great. Uh, I'm sure the audience is going to have a great time. I, I certainly had and, and hopefully we'll bring you back to speak about that uh, golden triangle. Thank I'd love you. to. Thank you so much. Take care. And there you have him, Ben Pepe, head of sport at JMW Solicitors, with a masterclass on how athletes and footballers can create an outstanding legacy based on three pillars, investment, partnerships, and social impact. Key takeaways for me from this wide-ranging conversation? One, both investment and partnership opportunities that emerge need to be authentic to the athlete they need to have a certain degree of alignment with their values. Two, athletes need to surround themselves with a capable team that will help them maximize impact, regardless of it being financial or social. Three, the golden triangle framework that Ben explains at the end. Look for high growth, highly scalable, and highly purpose-driven initiatives. Is there anything else that stood out for you? If so, reach out across social media and let us know. And remember, you can subscribe and rate the podcast on the platform of your choice and that you can share with other colleagues in the industry. Remember, we are a little over one month away from our first ever World Football Summit Africa, which is on November 16th and 17th. If you want to be part of the collective that will help shape the African football industry into an instrumental player in the global football scene, make sure you head over to our website and buy your ticket right now. Remember, the website is africa.worldfootballsummit.com. That's africa.worldfootballsummit.com. We really hope to see you in Durban. Nothing else from my side. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the World Football Summit podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and we hope to see you next time.